0: alright well this morning I need a volunteer who loves good food and does not have any food allergies do I have a volunteer right here up in front thank you come on up you can just make yourself comfortable you can sit at that pew or on any of the steps but don't eat it yet until I say thank you so much now how many layers are in that pie? Yes, three layers. We have the whipped cream, right? And we have the, the body of the pie, the, the, um, the, 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 what do you call it? Filling, thank you. And then the crust. I was going to use a chocolate pie for this, and, and I could have easily talked about the chocolate. So, three layers, and... Um, Now, I just want you to take one bite. Take one good bite of pie. There you go. Mmm. How is it? Is it delicious? (laughs) Yes. We've got, we have Pie Week coming up with 702 pies that are made and being sold for Thanksgiving. So this is a preview. Good stuff, right? Now, in my family, sometimes persons who shall remain unnamed don't eat things properly. And I don't think I'm OCD, but this really bugs me. If, there's, um, if there is um, chocolate chip co- cookie dough ice cream, guess what they do? Yeah, they dig out the cookie dough. Who does that? Or if there's a piece of pie, they might just take the whipped cream off the top. Try that, take a bite of, big bite of whipped cream. Yeah, is that how you eat the pie? (laughs) Some of you are like, yes! (laughs) Or somebody might come by and just take a bite of crust. Could you do that for me? Can you get just the crust out of there? If you get a little bit of whipped cream, that's okay. We won't tell. (laughs) Yeah, they just abscond with the crust. Or the thing that bugs me the most is when they just decide they're going to go after the filling and they scrape the whipped cream off and they leave this bed of crust and they take the filling. Try that. <laughs> Let's just get some good pie filling. All right. How is it? Which part's the best? You like the filling the best. Yeah, that's kind of why we have pie, isn't it? So <laughs> Pardon? The best the best all together that is awesome well I'm not gonna make you sit up here for the whole sermon but you can take that pie back to your seat and the rest of that piece is yours thank you so much (laughs) thank you so when Jesus talks about the end times he gives us several layers it's not all one thing he gives us Uh, really he gives us three layers here and the first layer is what I would what I would say is akin to the whipped cream the topping what makes it pretty and in some cases in most cases this is the main point but here this first layer uh, draws out the beauty of what God is doing in his salvation story because the first layer Points to the first layer of jesus discussion about the end times points not all the way to the end to his second coming but to his first coming, his suffering and death and resurrection and ascension and there are two two snippets of our scriptures today who that that uh, remind us that this is part of the big picture first of all in mark thirteen twenty four and twenty five Jesus quotes from Isaiah 31 and he says the Sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken this is cosmic language and originally it's used in Isaiah to describe catastrophic judgment upon Babylon and when we go back and we read that, we can we can see God's warning of judgment upon any city or nation or civilization that that strays really really far from God. Eventually, God's going to bring judgment, and the the uh, prophets describe this in this cataclysmic cosmic language. So it does point all the way to the third layer, all the way to the end. But when else is the sun? darkened, and when else are the powers of heaven shaken? Somebody say it out loud. When does the sun get dark for about three days in the middle of the afternoon? Good Friday. On the cross. So as we look to the final end, we're looking through this lens of Jesus' death. We're looking through the lens of what King Jesus has done where his glory is fully manifest not only in the end when there's power and all these cosmic signs but when he takes on himself the sins of the whole world and his glory is in his sacrificial suffering and death in order to free us from sin, death, and the devil. This is King Jesus at his best even on the cross. And in Daniel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, that's the second half of what Eric just read today, Um, it talks about Jesus' ascension into the clouds. He comes in the clouds, but he's not coming to earth, he's coming to the Ancient of Days. So, not that God is only up there and we're only down here, but using that imagery, which direction is he going? Up. When does Jesus go up in the clouds and join the Ancient of Days? The Ascension so here in this first layer we have jesus death and assumed is his resurrection because he's alive in order to ascend to the father and paul picks up on this in the book of ephesians chapter 1 god raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come See, Jesus is King and Lord, and he is exalted over all, not just at the end, but right now in the midst of whatever we're going through. Jesus is Lord in the midst of whatever we are going through. Jesus has been glorified in his suffering and death on our behalf and in his resurrection. And then in his ascension, Jesus is now able to be present with each and every one of us at all times, even now. So the beauty of this first layer, remember, the whipped cream on top of the pie is the pretty thing. That's what makes, catches your eye and goes, yes, I want that. The beauty here in this first layer of prophecy is that Jesus is already king and he is with us. So, the second layer is a little bit more of a follow-on from Jesus' previous topic in Mark 13, where he's been talking about the destruction of the temple. And to folks at that time, this is a really important conversation because in, in, what, about 40 years, everything is going to be destroyed. The land and the symbol of their faith, the temple, the center of their faith, where for centuries they have understood God to dwell, all of that is going to be decimated by the Romans, and there's going to be persecution, and God's people are going to be scattered. Now, sometimes in prophecy, it's it's not really like a timeline. It's more like a kaleidoscope. Do we have that image here, that kaleidoscope image? Do you all remember when you were kids, you had, some of you might have had a little uh, binoculars-looking thing called a kaleidoscope? And you could turn the knobs, and every time you turned the knobs, there were little mirrors inside of it that would change so that the images would continuously change and this is just one picture from the view of a kaleidoscope and when our Lord gives us prophecy in scripture it's often more like a kaleidoscope where every time we adjust the dials we get a different view of the same trajectory of God's plan of salvation and here even though the most important view and the most important point here is that Jesus is coming back he leaves us with this view as well. And he says things like, this generation will not pass away until these things have come to pass. In this case, we're looking through the lens of that first layer of Jesus' death and resurrection and and ascension, and then through this second layer where not only is Jerusalem judged and is, uh, not only are God's people scattered back in 70 AD, but this is part of life in every single generation. How would you feel if God brought you into his kingdom and then he said, you know what, everything's going to be perfect and every single day is going to be a winning day and you're never going to have hardship." How would you feel about God after living about a week in the real world? <laughs> yes, God, like a good father, warns us about the challenges that we will face. He, he warns us about the societal consequences of turning away from God. And he also reminds us that even in the midst of suffering and persecution, his church is actually scattered into mission, into mission. Now, there's a chance that we will be the final generation. There is a chance that every single one of us in this room will still be present when our Lord returns and the dead are raised and all the saints and angels are gathered around the throne. But it's also very, very likely that we are going to find ourselves in the middle. I was going to use a chocolate pie for this example, if I could get my hands on one. <laughs> Have any of you ever tasted raw cocoa beans? They're not particularly sweet, are they? It took me a while to figure out that when, when food critics describe something like uh, fine wine or coffee as having hints of cocoa, doesn't mean it tastes like candy no it means it has that bitter raw chocolatey cocoa taste and in this life much of what we face is not always going to be candy sweet but in the middle of it we have God's promise we have God's presence with us we know that king jesus has already conquered sin death and the devil and we know the end of the story so it's important that this kaleidoscope image include God's work in us right now today so finally the third layer is much more like the crust the foundation and we're reminded of the first section of Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This reminds us of the final judgment. In our creed, we will confess, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. From Mark 13, Jesus comes back with the same power and glory that he goes to the Father. Just as God gathered his elect from all corners of the earth in the mission of the church, he will gather his elect from all corners of heaven and earth for that final judgment, and he will take all who believe in him home to heaven. So, what's the point? Why does this matter? Often, Christians are tempted to take these passages and use them either to get a chart and a timeline so that they can control the events. Because if you know exactly when something's going to happen, you at least feel in control, don't you? Or they like to do detective work. If we can just put all the clues together, we can be good spiritual sleuths spiritual detectives, and we can fill in the gaps and figure out exactly what God is up to. How often do you all think that works? (laughs) Not too often. Usually when we take scripture and we add our own ideas and our own opinions, we fall flat on our face. So that's not the point. Rather, the point is exactly what Jesus says over and over and over and over and over again throughout Mark 13. He says it several different ways. He says, be awake, be ready, be prepared, watch, live your lives ready for Jesus to return. That's the point. King Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil, and he is coming back, and he calls us, his people, to be ready. So how do we do that? Well, that's why we heard from St. Jude this morning, that New Testament lesson. And Jude gives us some very practical advice. As you await His glorious return, and he divides it into two categories. He divides it into how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of others. Let's recall the words of St. Jude in verses 20 through 25. He says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. This is the first way that we take care of ourselves. Build yourselves up in the holy faith. Don't sit there trying to figure out exactly what God is doing so you can wait until the last second and be ready. Don't think that if you gain more knowledge about the end times that that prepares your heart for Jesus' return. Rather, build yourselves up in the holy, most holy faith. Remember, we are told by our Lord, my words will never pass away. So what do we build ourselves up in? The word of God. Be grounded in his word. Stay connected in worship. Stay connected in fellowship. And then confess your sins and receive forgiveness regularly. These, excuse me, these basic disciplines of discipleship, being grounded in God's word, being, being uh, uh, plugged in in worship where we receive his word and we receive his good gifts at his table and where we regularly come and confess our sins and receive his forgiveness so that he builds us up in, in good works and in sanctification that we might live out our lives for him. These basic building blocks of being a disciple are the number one way that we Take care of ourselves as we await his coming. And second, St. Jude says, pray in the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of prayer, draws us to the Father, and empowers us that we might speak to our Lord, knowing in faith that he hears us and that we might listen. And this discipline of prayer is not necessarily a step in and of itself. It accompanies every step of discipleship. When we are in God's word, it draws us into prayer. And we pray the very word that we are studying and reading. When we are in worship, what do we do more than anything else? We pray. We enter into the liturgy praying. Many of our songs are songs of prayer directed toward God. When we are in fellowship with others, we join them in praying to our Lord and praying for them. And then praying in the Holy Spirit also involves listening. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us through His Word, through the fellowship of believers, through that prompting of the Holy Spirit as we pray? And finally, receive. The love of God is a gift given to us in Jesus Christ, and we hold on to those promises of baptism that we belong to God and we have been loved by him more than we can imagine. St. Jude's words remind us of Jesus' words in the book of John where he commands us to abide in him. Stay there. Hold on. Don't leave that place in your life in which you abide in and you remain in his love. So as we await Jesus' return, he gives us all the gifts that we might be cared for. These gifts of his word, gifts of prayer, and gifts of just abiding and remaining in his love. But St. Jude also talks about our posture toward others. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Recently, just this weekend, I think it was in one of our um, meet and greet forums, one of our disciples pointed out, you know what? Christians have a terrible habit of shooting their wounded. Have you ever been in a context where somebody screwed up, somebody just wasn't living the way we expect Christians to live, and instead of building them up and lifting them up and surrounding them with God's love, they were judged. They were shunned. They were removed from fellowship. This is an amazing place. So if there were ever a place where that happened infrequently, I would expect it to be here. But it happens. And St. Jude reminds us, have mercy on those who doubt. Folks who are having trouble, faltering in their faith, wondering, is this true? Is this real? Is it really worth it to to, uh, commit myself to the way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? They need our mercy. They need our love. They don't need condemnation. That is when... The law is already pressing heavy upon them, and they they need to be surrounded by the good news of the gospel. That is where God's people provide mercy. We don't shoot our wounded. And then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And I used to read this as a call to judge. A call to intervene when somebody's about to get burnt, about to do something sinful. And there, is, there are times where tough love is necessary, but as I thought more about this, I believe this is a call to evangelize. What is the fire? Ultimately, Scripture most often speaks of the fire as the judgment, the eternal judgment, hell, life apart from God. So snatching people out of the fire, first and foremost, would remind us that we are called to evangelize, would remind us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, and that, that there's a world out there desperately in need of the good news of Jesus Christ because they are headed toward judgment toward destruction toward spending eternity without christ and we are called not to judge them because we think they're about to do something bad but to call them into the good news of the gospel and remind them of jesus love and share with them the good news because it is the gospel that snatches us out of the fire amen it's the good news of jesus and finally a little bit of a warning to us Have you ever engaged with those who don't know Christ in order to be a witness and found yourself caught up in the very things that God warns us not to do? You probably shouldn't raise your hand on that one. There's a little bit of a warning. Show mercy to others with fear. He says, hate even the garment stained by by the flesh. As we are sent out into mission, there should be a healthy fear of the temptations of the evil one. And we are called to snatch folks out of or away from that impending fire and do so with a healthy understanding of God's righteousness that has saved us and the temptation of the evil one. Show mercy to others with fear. So, friends, this last Sunday of the church here, as we are reminded of the work of King Jesus on our behalf in his suffering, death, and resurrection, and ascension, in sustaining us through all of the challenges and the persecutions and the, the, various, um, uh, the, the various rises and fall, falls of civilization and the challenges of the mission of the church throughout this age, And as we are reminded that King Jesus is coming back, let's put into practice the encouragement of St. Jude. Hold on to God's gifts that allow us to be cared for in God's Word, in worship, in confession and absolution, in prayer, and continue God's mission in showing mercy, not judgment to those who doubt, in engaging enthusiastically in the task of mission and evangelism because there's a world out there in danger of judgment apart from Christ that need to hear the good news and do so fully aware of the dangers of sin that tempt us so that we might be kept in God's care. This is the story and the pie tastes the best when we get a full bite. Uh, The whole picture from beginning to end the full kaleidoscope of Jesus first coming and Jesus promise to return because as we've talked about throughout this whole series we know the end of the story. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you that you are Lord and King on the cross. You are Lord and King in your resurrection. You are Lord and King as you ascend to the right hand of the Father. You are Lord and King throughout the ages as you call people out of the darkness into your glorious light and bring them into the kingdom of God. You are Lord and King when you work through each and every one of us as part of your mission. And you, the Lord and King, will one day return to judge the living and the dead and take your saints to be with you around the throne forever. Help us to continuously be ready for your return. Thank you, our Lord and King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.